Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Story time. I woke up early on Saturday morning, eager to start my day as a hunter. I had been waiting for this day for weeks, planning and preparing for my journey into the I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Woods. I packed my gear 
including my rifle, ammunition, and a backpack with snacks and supplies, and headed out to my usual hunting spot. As I walked through the woods, I felt a sense of peace and calmness wash over me. The sound of leaves crunching under my boots, the fresh air, and the smell of pine trees all made me feel alive. I was on a mission to track a deer, and I was confident that today was the day I would finally catch one. But as I followed the tracks of the deer deeper into the woods, I felt a strange sensation in my gut. It was as if someone or something was watching me. I brushed it off as paranoia and continued on my path. As I reached a clearing, I noticed a sudden change in the atmosphere. The once peaceful woods had become eerie and silent. That's when I saw it, a creature with glowing eyes and razor-sharp claws. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was about six feet tall, with fur as black as the night sky, and eyes that glowed bright red. I froze in my tracks, my heart pounding in my chest. I had never been so scared in my life. I tried to back away slowly, but the creature began to move towards me, its glowing eyes fixed on me. I knew I had to act fast, so I aimed my rifle and took a shot. The creature let out an ear-piercing scream and charged towards me with its claws outstretched. I fired a few more shots, but they didn't seem to phase the creature. It was as if it was invincible. I turned to run, but it was too late. The creature was upon me, slashing at my back with its razor-sharp claws. I fell to the ground, my back burning with pain. I knew I was going to die. But just as I thought all hope was lost, I heard a loud gunshot. The creature let out one final scream and collapsed to the ground. I turned to see a group of hunters who had heard the commotion and come to my aid. They helped me to my feet, and we made our way back to civilization. I was lucky to be alive, but I knew that I would never forget that terrifying creature in the woods. Its glowing eyes and razor-sharp claws would haunt me for the rest of my life. Ever since I've known for myself, I have loved nature. I could even say that it's my passion, which is why the job of even a park ranger was perfect. Until one day, I worked at this nature park where the visitation hours were from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. There were many of us, and our shifts changed every week, so one week I would do first and the next week I would do second and so on. One Friday, I was second shift, which meant I would stay until everybody left and check if everything is okay, then I was off. I did a short tour that a few visitors asked for that day, but other than that, it was pretty unengaged since I didn't have to do a lot. I was already walking and checking up everything long before I was supposed to be done with work. It already got dark, and I was walking through the woods. I noticed a flash of lightning at me from behind me on one of the trees in the distance. It was weird. I went to check it out, but as I got to the point that I thought the light was coming from, Suddenly it came at me again from the place that I'd come from. It was super weird, and I yelled out whoever was doing that to knock it off. As I said, the flash of light came from a completely different direction. There's no way that a person could travel that way in such a short time, so I realized I was probably being messed with by two different people, figuring it was my co-workers, even though we weren't really close, nor do we ever do this kind of stuff. I yelled again. I was not going to participate in this stupid joke. 
whoever or whatever it was should leave. I left. I did not have any control over this and could not do anything about it if they were purposefully trying to mess with me. So basically, it was my problem. I informed my supervisor that somebody could still be in the park. He said that he would take over. I left and got in my car and began to drive home. I live about 10 minutes away from the park. Suddenly, I got a phone call from an unknown number. I answered it. Somebody told me in a raspy voice I should not have left them there all alone, that I would regret it. I told them to never call me again and hung up. When I got to work, they told me they had found a dead dog at the place I'd reported the flashing lights. This was the work of an insane individual who was messing with me, somebody who would do something so horrid. I was stationed at the FOB, Forward Observation Base, in Kamenica as a civilian contractor. I was driving one morning from the FOB to Camp Monteith to do a distribution run and pick up laundry and such. Halfway to Camp Monteith, you drive through a heavily wooded and hilly region, but not all that big and still somewhat populated. Hard for me to describe an exact location unless someone is actually familiar with the area. About two miles before you pass a restaurant called The Planet. I witnessed a hairy hominid coming down a fairly steep slope and then crossing the road in front of the vehicle going from my right side to my left side. Nothing like what you hear from the American version of Bigfoot. Not sure what to call it so we'll stick with a hairy hominid. This hairy hominid was only around 5 half feet tall. Only an estimate as I was in a four-wheel drive that sits kind of high. It was slender, bipedal, reddish-colored hair heavily matted around the buttocks and front groin area. Hair is longer on the head than on the rest of the body. The rest of the hair is 3-4 inches in length. Profile of face flat, and dark-skinned, black. Hands were also black. Did not get a good look at the feet. No visible mammaries or other aids in determining sex. The sighting did not last too long and there was also the shock factor involved trying to be as detailed as I can. I only saw the profile of the face but was fairly flat, and very dark. I saw the hands but did not get a real good look at the feet as it moved in front of the vehicle and then across the road and down a slope into a valley. Hands were also very dark. I would say black as far as the face and hands go. I was curious after this happened. I was afraid of ridicule from my workmates and feared for my security clearance so I kept quiet about it. But after finally talking to my wife about it I feel I can share it with like-minded people. Does anyone know if hominids have a history of sightings in the Balkans or around Kosovo? I tried an internet search and came up empty. I hope I was thorough enough or detailed enough. When I was a kid I lived in Clinton, Tennessee. Both parents worked full-time, so I was often sent over to stay with my grandparents who had a plot of land in the vicinity of, but not right in, Mossheim, near Greenville. Both of them had been in East Tennessee for their whole lives, and that area for a good many years. They had been established at their home for some decades before this story and remained there a good time after. Recently, I had reason to return to that area Tennessee after having spent the majority of my adult life in Minnesota. Being in and around the area, 
Driving the same roads made me reminiscent about my lazy summer days tucked away at my grandparents. Learning to shoot on the same point .22 with which grandpa had taught mom, feeding fish at a neighbor's stocked pond, or spotting deer and bear with binoculars from the back porch. When I relayed this to my mom, she in turn told me a story about a time I scared my grandpa half to death then lied about hanging out with Bigfoot. At first I had no idea what she was on about. Then I remembered exactly what actually happened with startling clarity. New context given by the experience adulthood provides. And no, this is not about Bigfoot or a cryptid. Before we start, some information about my grandparents' land. Their house was on a small hill surrounded by a grass lawn. The lawn gave way to a smallish hay field, then the wood line. Those woods lasted for a good half mile to either side of the home, and a good several miles to the back. I hated the hay field because it was too pokey to play in, but liked to hang out in a creek that ran behind it. To get there I would walk to the edge of the property just in the wood line to avoid the hay. While at my grandparents the only rules were that I stay where I could see the house, so the house could see me. I was to take a whistle with me anywhere I went went. I didn't take the whistle, seeing it as a badge of my regrettably young age. And the best part of the crick was out of sight of the house. That was the only stretch to where it got deeper than my knees, and thus the only part where I could swim. Naturally, I spent much of my time in that water splashing around, skipping stones, and being a kid. One day I was playing in the creek when I noticed someone. It was a man, a stranger, on the bank watching me. He had long hair, a beard and pale skin so dirty it was stained. I could not tell his age and simply thought of him as old. I have no better guess now, as he clearly went through long years of hard living. He wore no shirt on, no pants, only a wrap of dirty cloth around his waist that I thought of as a Moses dress thanks to some illustrated Bible stories. Around his neck there were multiple necklaces made from knotted tatters of cloth, fiber, and string. In those knots were various pieces of detritus, mostly bones, but some flowers and bits of dark glass. When I first saw him there by the crick I was terrified. Terrified. Frozen still. The man however, was smiling. He gestured from his squat with an outstretched arm, fingers down, in a kind of don't stop for me wave. I didn't react, startled and reeling. Then he splashed at me, still smiling. He did it again. I splashed back. And soon we were playing. We both threw water at each other. He jumped into the crick and stomped around with me, laughing all the while. He threw rocks into the water and so did I. I pushed him. He pushed me back. We carried on for some minutes until my grandma called for me. With her voice a switch had turned off. The man stopped in his tracks gaze fixed back toward the house. Then as my grandma kept on hollering, he looked to me. He crept back to his side of the creek barely disturbing the water, then slid into the brush, completely silent the whole way. Holding my gaze. Once he was out of sight I waited in the water until my grandma found me. She wanted to know if I was alone. I said no. She became very tense asking who was with me while looking around. I didn't answer, didn't know how. Seeing no one, she pulled me back to the house without any more words, grip like iron the whole time. 
At the house the real inquisition began. I didn't really have new words, the event and this reaction overwhelming my ability to explain. Such silence further irked my grandma and I was swiftly placed in a corner, held without bail, awaiting patriarchal judgment. Around an hour later my grandpa came home from work. He was told about my churlishness and was ready to set into me again when I started talking. I told him about the man, hairy and old, dressed like Moses. About how we played then he disappeared. I remember they digested this for a few minutes before sending me to my room. I was happy to go, and happier still grandpa did not yell like he usually did when misbehaved. Later I was brought out for dinner. I ate in the kitchen with grandma, but grandpa called me to the back porch. He was on the swinging bench, looking out over the hay field turned red by the setting sun. He had kicked off his boots and put them next to his shotgun. I knew that was odd for the gun to be out of the closet. Previously, we had used it to shoot bottles, some I would me throw them into the air like they were clay pigeons. These escapades were accompanied with speeches about how the gun was dangerous and only for adults to use. He went through my story again. His tone deadly serious. Eventually he asked me how Harry was the man, really. I told him very, thinking this was the right answer. He asked where, I told him everywhere like a bear. He ruminated on this and I grew more nervous. Worried I was in trouble, or causing trouble, just wanting the trouble, wherever it lie, to end. So when he finally asked me to swear, in the name of Christ and on my mother that I was telling the truth about everything, I said I had been joking. He finally yelled then, and sent me back to my room. The family memory became that I had hid by the creek and made up a tale about Bigfoot. At the time everyone was very upset with me and I was forbidden from going back to the creek or anywhere out of sight. The enforcement of this rule, like the others, was lackluster. Even so, for a time I didn't go to the creek. In my memory I stayed away for a very long time, but I am sure it was only a few days, that hiatus feeling interminable to my elementary-aged self. When I did start going to the creek, I took a bucket of toys, mostly Godzilla, and a thick stick plucked from the woodline on the way. I think I was conflicted about what to do if the man came back, imagining either impressing him with my toy collection or clubbing him. Or both in turn. When he did show back up, he appeared next to me as I dozed under a tree on my side of the creek. I was once again gripped with terror. He was not smiling. His face expressionless as he lurked beside me, having watched for who knows how long before I smelled him. I scrambled away leaving behind my stick and toys. Coming to my feet a yard out, I stood in the sun while the man watched me from the shade. Eventually he crouched and started to look through my bucket. I remember becoming indignant as he examined my toys one by one only to toss them into the dirt. It became too much and I started to lecture the man. Telling him about how he got me in trouble, how he was a weirdo, how he stank. At some point he stopped looking through my things and calmly watched my tirade. Face still neutral, eyes analytic. Once I had concluded my lecture I sat back under the tree to pout, having become hot in the sun. I remember the man made a noise, a grinding kind of snort, and when I looked over at him, he was chuckling while he inspected the last few figures in my bucket. I wanted to laugh too, 
but was more determined to stay sullen. Once everything was out of the bucket the put one figure, Ghidorah, back into the bucket. He then stood to his hunched fullest, took the bucket by its handle, began to make his way back into the woods. I stayed by the tree until he turned, said something, not a word I knew or know, and gestured with a forward sweep of his hand. At first I didn't comply despite knowing he wanted me to follow. After a few moments he yipped, clicked his teeth, and gestured again more emphatically. With this further prompt, I did get up and come along, the man making approving noises and putting on his smile again. We went into the woods. The man lead, but he was naturally quicker and quieter making it hard to keep up. Eventually, he would stop when he lost me. Knocking on trees with sticks and whistling arrhythmically so that I may find him in the vegetation. He never came back for me, opting instead to guide me forward with the noises. I became lost, having only a vague sense of my grandparents' place being behind me. After some time, maybe 15 minutes we came to a bald. The man had me wait there, indicated by patting the ground, before going into the tree line alone. He returned from a different direction pulling a sled. It was made from half of a discarded plastic drum and lined with small pelts and smooth bark. On the back half there rested the fly-covered carcasses squirrels, opossums, and other critters savaged into anonymity. On the pulling end woven pouches were tied into place on it by the same eclectic cordage that made the man's necklaces. He put my bucket on the sled and tossed Ghidorah in a pouch. He then called me closer with a glottal noise and beckoning wave. I saw the sled's pouches held many odds and ends. Dried salamanders, mushrooms, metal bits, glass fragments. From one the man pulled a square made from bound together sticks, just big enough to slip over my wrist. From another he pulled a piece of fool's gold and a small shard of geode crusted with a bit of purple crystal. These he handed to me with an air of business and a few more utterings of nonsense. He then patted the group for me to sit again. I did so without much bewilderment, understanding we had traded the same as exchanging Pokemon cards at recess. I did not much miss Ghidorah anyway, as he was a bad guy. The bucket was a loss. In retrospect I think Ghidorah was chosen because its dull gold scales resembled something valuable. The bucket for its obvious ability to hold things. The man came back and gestured for me to follow by slapping his thigh. I did this readily. During the hike back I tried to keep up and pay attention. I did so moderately well, having to be whistled over a few times. I did notice that our path was not straight. The man lead me one way and then another, making turns unneeded by the lay of the land. We eventually came out by the creek, but from a different approach than we had left. I could hear my grandma calling for me again, not from up on the hill, from out in the field. The man would not cross the creek, but pushed me to do so. I did, but did not go to my grandma. Instead I crept back to the house and around to the opposite side. There I laid the shrubs by our front door pretending to sleep I was found. I swore I had been there the whole time. When I was sent back to my room I placed my fool's gold, crystal, and charm in my bedside table for safekeeping. The next day I went back to the creek to pick up my toys. The man was not there. However throughout that summer he did visit me again, to sit under the tree, 
or throw rocks at the water, or yammer softy to himself. I would bring snacks and candy to share, and he would likewise give me stringy dried meat, which I ought not to have ate, or honeysuckle blossoms, which I still would eat, taken from my old bucket. He seldom visited long, and never splashed and whooped like he did on that first meeting. At this point you may be wondering why I have posted to Backwoods Creepy and not Backwoods Weird But Wholesomeigwis. Well there are two more occasions I wanted to account. One gruesome, one awful. The eventful one occurred near the 4th of July. I had brought two boxes of bang snaps to the creek. The man was initially wary of the little fireworks, but quickly came to appreciate their miniature pyrotechnics. He took the box I gave him gratefully. Even taking the empty box, likely for the wood shavings which are excellent tinder. During the use of the bang snaps I had scared a turtle into the water and to the opposite bank. It sat there watching us from the far shore. The man, after stowing the bang snaps in the bucket, noticed the turtle. With little thought he scooped up a smooth stone and threw it with force and accuracy into the turtle. He then waded over to retrieve the slider, which struggled meekly in his grasp, one leg knocked clean off. On the side of the river he took from the bucket a new piece of stone. One side was rounded and fit in his hand. The other came to a flinty cutting edge. Working with deft experience the man began chopping the live turtle above its neck, pulling up on the shell top. The thing struggled and bled as it was bisected. The dome eventually coming free, the turtle dropped to mingle its viscera with dirt and sand. The man rinsed the shell in the river then offered it to me. In wordless horror, I ran. That evening I came back to shuffle the dead turtle into the flowing waters of the creek. The shell itself was nowhere to be found. This experience did nor deter me from going to the creek, or the man from visiting again. However, sometimes he would try to call me away from the creek with thumps and whistles. I would tell him I heard him and refused to move. On some occasions he would join me. On others he would leave. The last time we met we were sitting under the tree sharing cowtails. From the woods there came whistling and the staccato knocking of a woodpecker. The man looked up and whistled back. There were a few more such exchanges before he stood, collected his bucket, and beckoned for me to follow. I was curious, and felt comfortable with the man as a guide so I did as asked. He took me back to the bald. A direct path this time, periodically stopping to call or respond to the other in the wood. Waiting for us at the bald was a woman and a child. The woman was dressed the same as the man. Topless, wrapped at the waist. She was dirty, with long hair and a wiry frame. The child was in a similar state, wearing a sack that went to their knees. The man sat on the ground and the woman joined him sitting in his lap partly in his lap but leaning forward so that her elbows rested on her crossed knees. She had dark brown eyes that were fixed to me. The other child would not look up. I didn't know what to do, and didn't speak. The other kid lifted their sack to wipe at their nose, and I learned under all that dirt they were a her. The man made a noise and drummed on woman's bare back. The kid looked at them, still hanging her head, hair covering her face. The woman yammered and swatted at the girl lazily. The man echoing her noises, slapping skin to skin once more. At this bizarre scene the girl approached me, stopping close enough I could smell her and hear her wheezing breath. 
She was thin, but not emaciated, and slightly taller than me should she have straightened up. The man and woman fussed some more, then the girl leaned close to me and pressed her cheek to mine. Her hair was in between us, greasy and cold. She made no move to embrace me, no move at all. Only pressing limply against me and breathing so loud it was all I could hear. During this time the woman had approached. She pulled the girl back by her shoulder with one hand and delivered a flurry of slaps to the crown of the girl's head. The woman then gathered the girl's hair in one hand, using the other to sweep back her bangs. The girl was then made to look at me, face bare. One side of her jaw was bulged out, smooth skin over a lemon-shaped bump. Her mouth was twisted by this deformity. Her nose faced to one side as if affixed sideways and leaked a trail of clear snot. One eye was bulged and rummy, the other startlingly regular. It looked at me, blank and dark brown. The woman gave the girl's head a little shake, spat off to the side, then cooed like a dove as she smiled at me. I ran. There was commotion behind me, I think the girl was pushed to the ground. I did not look back and they did not pursue. My flight ended at my grandparents' house, my absence unnoticed. I chose not to tell anyone what happened. Wanting to forget. Not wanting to get in trouble. Not thinking about the girl, the couple, what was intended for me. I spent that August inside whenever I visited my grandparents. I begged not to be taken, claiming it was boring and lonely. Sometimes, when I sat on the porch or went from the car to the house I'd catch a snippet of bird call on the wind or the distant tapping of wood and hurry inside. My grandma could tell something was wrong and made an effort to entertain me in town. My grandpa cared in his own way, involving me in his errands as he never had before. Eventually school started. Classes and friends eased me away from thoughts of the dirty man or the people in the clearing. Time did the rest. I think now that all of the people in the clearing were of a family. But their features, white skin, brown eyes, brown hair, are common enough that they all could have been unrelated. I am sure they lived together. They knew each other's signs and signals. They used their own words. I know that the Smokies are full of tales of feral people, wild men men, and superstition. I also know that they are full of people living in unlikely ways and unlikely places. And that those real people call others kin. And that through the chain of human connection even a recluse living in a rundown shack is someone's somebody. I guess I am asking if the people in my story are somebody's someone. Or if they are known. Or if their behavior rings any bells, belies any known intention. I figured here, where the tale would not be discounted out of hand, might be the right place to ask. This incident took place in 1993. I was in a fishing boat with my father, and grandfather, in the Potomac River in the Sidling Hill Wildlife Management Area, Washington County, Maryland. We had been on my father's boat fishing for a few hours already. My father's girlfriend was also on the boat, which wasn't all that large maybe the size of a regular sedan vehicle. Anyway, my father and his girlfriend were looking out towards the front of the boat, and I and my granddad were fishing off the back half of the boat. I and my grandfather were simply talking about whatever and fishing when all of a sudden we looked about maybe 20 yards away from where we were and I see it. 
I'm not too sure what it was but I'll try to describe what I saw. I saw a creature about the size of a large alligator, maybe 6-7 feet in length. But the creature was definitely not an alligator. It had a grayish-brown color, and smooth skin, like that of a dolphin. I remember seeing flippers on it, but I don't remember how many, although I do know it was more than two. I never actually saw its head or tail, just its midsection. I didn't know what it was doing but I remember seeing the creature sort of rolling around as an alligator or crocodile would do while trying to bite a chunk of flesh off an animal. I remember comparing what I saw to a log rolling in the water. The animal rolled for a few seconds and then disappeared before either one of us could call my dad to check it out. I remember after seeing it both me and my grandfather looked at each other in disbelief. My father always did think we were just playing. I know what I saw and it freaked me out. More so because I had been swimming in that same area a few days before the incident. To this day I don't know what it was. This event happened to me and a friend from out of town that I had invited to go hunting one afternoon. This location was in South Louisiana in an area with thick woods and a lot of palmetto up to 6 foot in height in some places. The water we had to walk in to get to my deer stands were up to our waist at times, so it was slow moving in the mile we had to walk to our deer stands. My friend wasn't used to this tough terrain, but he kept up. When I got to the first stand, which was 15 feet off the ground with a ladder to climb up, I told him I would be by to pick him up about a half hour after dark since I was a half mile past him. We had a full moon that was reflecting off the water, allowing us to hunt a few minutes longer. When it became too dark to see, I climbed down from my deer stand with my rifle on my shoulder and started walking slowly towards my friend to pick him up. When I was almost to his stand, I shined my light up, and he wasn't in the stand. So, I shined my light on the ground at the bottom of the stand, and there he was leaning back against the tree the stand was on. What was odd was he wouldn't look my way even after me calling his name. So, I walked up to him within a couple of feet and asked if he was ready to go. That's when he finally turned his head and looked towards me. What I saw in his face scared me so bad that I took my rifle off my shoulder, putting it between me and him. His eyes were rolled back in his head, and his mouth was wide open just standing there looking at me, not saying a word. He was not answering me when I was asking what's wrong. So, there I was a mile or so back in the woods with solid palmettos and up to my waist in water with my good friend looking at me as if he was possessed or something. Yes, at this point, I was scared. So, I finally slapped his face, and he snapped back to himself. I asked if he was okay, his only words were let's get out of here now. With me not knowing what the F was going on, I made him walk in front of me the whole way back to the truck and we got in and left without saying a word. I asked him what happened in the woods, why did he look shocked or possessed? That's when he started crying and started telling me how he was sitting there in the stand when he heard something coming through the water, moving palmettos as it was walking. When it got close enough to see what it was, he said it was a man that looked like he had been skinned alive. He had no skin at all on him, and he said he was so scared that after this thing had passed him, he climbed down and hid under the stand against the tree. 
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So it wouldn't see him if it came back. He was in shock when I got to him. That's why he had looked like he did. He was so shook up and crying that I made him pull over for me to drive. Well, a week went by, and I was talking to my little cousin who had gone on a tour at a near Indian memorial. They were explaining how this Indian tribe would skin men of the tribe alive and turn them loose in the woods when they had committed a serious crime in the tribe. My friend, who had witnessed this skinned man a week earlier, wasn't from around this area, had no way of knowing this. So what did he see that put him in shock? Was it a ghost of one of these Indians who was skinned alive years ago? I don't know, I just know the shape my friend was in when I got to him that night in the woods, something I'll never forget. I'm sorry for the long read and excuse my typing, I'm on my cell phone. This incident occurred at Carson Lake in the Grand Mesa National Forest of Colorado. The lake sits on the edge of what is called Land's Edge on the Grand Mesa. A friend and I were hunting. We had hiked down the Kana Creek Trail to look for game. We had spent most of the day on a stand. We made our way back to my truck but decided to stay the night so we could hunt in the early morning and then go home. We were getting things set up for camp, building a fire, and getting food out to cook. I had a pop-up camper and I had just got it up and situated when my friend said, what the heck is that sound? He had never spent as much time in the woods as I had so he was freaked out instantly. I came out of the camper and asked him what was the problem. That is when I heard it. It's hard to explain how it sounded. It was a high-pitched, but deep, scream that lasted for long periods off and on. The sound goes up and down in volume. Whatever it was sounded angry for some reason. At first, I didn't give it much thought. I had heard mountain lion screams and that will make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. But this sound went on and on, pausing for short moments as if to catch its breath. My friend was really freaked out now. I said to him it's just a lion or two lions across the lake. This did not calm him down much. I had my sidearm on me so I pulled it out and shot off around in the air during the screaming. Then it was silent. I told him I scared it away. I started to go about getting food out so we could eat. The daylight was fading to the point where you can't quite see details across the lake. But you can still see movement and other features. About a minute after firing off the round in the air, the screaming started again. This time it was closer, 
but still across the lake. It seemed more pissed off, as if it was very mad we were here. We could hear the brush shaking and raking but we could not see it, but just hear it. Now I'm getting freaked out because of what just happened. It was coming closer. You would think that a gunshot would scare game away, not bring it in closer. My friend is really getting freaked out and wants to leave immediately. I tell him we have high-powered rifles and we will be safe. The whole time we're talking about leaving the screaming is going on. I eventually gave in to him wanting to leave and started to pack up camp. This took some time for us to do maybe 10 minutes or so. During this time the screaming continued. We got everything loaded up in a hurry, buttoned up the camper, and got in the truck. I started it up and left. It was now dark and the headlights were the only lights beside the stars. The drive up and out of the lake had a few switchbacks. I stopped at one to see if the screaming was still going on. It was not. We drove out of there and down the mountain, not saying a word. We had stopped to get a bite to eat. We felt unsure of what we had experienced. Both of us decided not to say anything to anyone. I know I didn't say anything to anyone for a very long time I am unsure if my friend has said anything to anyone. I have watched shows on TV about Bigfoot since then. Some of the shows had recorded sounds of what they said was a Bigfoot. To me, it sounded like what I had heard at the lake. I have a friend that had a similar experience in this same area at a later time. My friend said it was at night when he saw something tall and large cross the road. Also, during the day, he found some very large tracks. Some other friends said that they heard some screaming that sounded a lot like what I described in the area. They didn't tell the rest of the hunting party about what they heard until later when the rest of them heard these screams in the middle of the night. It was loud enough to wake them up. I was born in Puerto Rico but moved to the US with my mom after my parents divorce so I would visit in the summertime to see my dad. My dad always took me camping and we would always have these really deep talks. This one time I had told my dad that I felt my late grandfather was the moon, he passed earlier that year and I was just a kid so that's how I found comfort in his passing. We continued our talk then heard this strange noise almost like a person casting a fishing rod but only problem was we were on a mini island that can only be reached by boat and on the other side of this island was super steep like uber steep I am talking about almost vertical no way for someone to be down there and the only way on the island was through our campsite. My dad said no one was there when he checked before so he was starting to get worried and me being 15 decided to be a tough guy and went to take a piss. I kept hearing the noise and it kept getting louder. As I got to the edge the steep ass hill I saw him or at least I thought I did, I saw my grandfather at the bottom of this hill knee deep in water fishing. Naturally I freaked out and ran towards him screaming grandpa it's me please stay right there, I couldn't believe I was seeing my grandpa, stumbling down this hill was so hard but when I got to the bottom he was gone and the only thing there was a fishing rod just under the surface of the water. I was so confused and my screaming alarmed my dad. But I was stuck at the bottom and I couldn't get back up the hill so my dad went for his boat to go around and get me. I was so upset waiting, so confused asking myself what was going on when I felt a hand on my shoulder but by the time I looked up I hearted my dad's boat and realized nothing was there. 
To this day I can't explain it. I am not superstitious or religious in any way so I don't believe in ghost. But there was something comforting about the whole ordeal. My dad is convinced my grandfather needed to tell me something but I don't know. I used to be active duty Navy on a ship that would go to sea for six months at a time. I met a guy in another department who looked exactly like Gregory Hines, I mean seriously just like him. One day he tells me that he goes to orgy parties that have hetero, bi, and gay members. He invites me and says I can just participate in the hetero part, which I solidly am. He says the parties are exclusive, and he's one of the people who can vet me. He invites me to his room and says I need to be comfortable naked and not be awkward around others who are. The test is for me to undress in front of him. I'm not going to do that with just two of us, but he agrees to let me just pull it out enough to be visible. This is super uncomfortable for me, but I'm imagining how interesting the party could be, so I show it. The next step of course is for me to play with it a little. I honestly don't remember what his legitimate justification for this next request was, but I believe he asked if he could massage it. I'm obviously drawing the line there. Apparently that last test was the deal breaker because I wasn't allowed to go to the parties. I obviously saw him after that in the passageways in Chow Hall, etc. For a year or two more, but we just nodded or whatever and really never engaged verbally. Heaps of weird stuff happened back when I was living in New Zealand. One time when I was a teenager I was camping with family at Spirits Bay at the top of the North Island. My friend and I decided to go for a walk along the beach before turning in. The surf was rough and loud. It's a beautiful moonlit night, we can see almost all the bay in front of us in the moonlight. No one is on the beach that we can see. All of sudden, absolute, total, eerie silence, no crashing waves, no wind, no night birds. We stop walking and it's like we're frozen in place. We don't talk. It feels so weird. The hairs on my arm stood on end. Then I see what looks like a person walking along the beach, but it seemed odd somehow. I whispered to my friend, she saw it too. This person just came from nowhere. We watched, frozen in place for maybe a minute and then the figure was gone just gone. We thought they must have moved into a shadowy part of the beach, even though we could see the beach, was lit up with the full moon. The normal sounds returned. But we felt uneasy and decided to go back. Only later talking to my dad found out that the bay is the place Maori souls depart for their ancestral lands after they die. Always wondered if we had seen a ghost or if it was just a fellow camper. But we stuck to only going to the beach in the day after that, and ever since. This just happened to me three weekends ago on a float trip down in Arkansas. About seven eight of us were sitting around a campfire in a clearing behind our cabin about 11 pm and were just talking and listening to music. We had been drinking but I was absolutely not drunk. I was sitting at the 6 o'clock position facing north. I was looking up in the sky watching for shooting stars. The sky was clear and I counted about three shooting stars in about two minutes or so. Pretty common I'd say. 
streaks that came in and disappeared pretty fast. I then looked to the west and saw what appeared to be a star moving in a snake-like trajectory. I first noticed it at about the 9 o'clock position, and it snaked its way to about the 1 o'clock position in about 4 to 5 seconds. So it went from the sky in the west to a northeast position before going behind the tree line in a matter of seconds. I said to my buddy who was sitting across from me, hey what's that? And pointed it out. He saw it and watched it about the 11 o'clock position and just said hmm I don't know. It was the size and brightness as any average star in the sky. I know it wasn't a plane because of the distance it covered and that it didn't blink. I know it wasn't a shooting star or a satellite because of the snake-like trajectory it took. I know it wasn't a firefly or insect because it didn't blink and the speed and distance it traveled. It looked just like as if a star-sized white light snaked its way across half the sky in an incredibly short amount of time. It seemed to be actually out in space, not something close like a bug. It didn't freak me out, more just baffled me. I've never seen anything like that, and for the life of me I can't determine what it was. That's the only thing I've ever seen that was truly unexplainable to me. I don't think it was a UFO really, but I can't explain it. I was a mountain guide in southern Colorado last year. One mountain is notorious for the baby doll man. High in elevation, pretty deep in the backcountry is this parcel of private land that our company passes close by on the way to summit this particular mountain. All in the property there are baby dolls hanging from nooses, impaled doll heads on pikes, and random doll limbs stacked in piles. One of my guide friends tells this story. One week he was hiking with a particular group that happened to be really slow. He was indeed leading them up Baby Doll Mountain. Since this group was so slow they had barely made it to the usual campsite that we take them to, before the summit attempt early the next morning. By this time the sun was setting. So my friend decided to camp with the group further down the trail pretty close to the Baby Doll Man's house. On summit day morning he wakes up, at 4 am because that's how early you need to get up to summit a mountain with slow people, it is pitch black, and he shines his headlight around his tent. The tent is outlined with baby doll parts. When I was about 18, I was sitting in a blind after dark trying to trap owls with a couple other people, were falconers. We were about half a mile or so from the nearest road in a clearing in the woods. It was pitch black all around and we only had a red light on inside the blind. The blind is about 12 by 12 by 8. There's three small rectangular holes in each wall but no other windows or anything, and a closed door. All of a sudden, bright light is coming in from all the different sides of the blind at once. We all start quietly freaking out. My first thought was a police helicopter looking for drug growers, but there was no sound. As soon as it went dark, we ran outside and there was nothing around, and no sound. Can't explain that one, and I'd think I imagined it if I wasn't alone. A second one was a couple years ago. I was deer hunting in the mountains. I was walking up a trail, up to a peak in a fairly remote area. I left my car at around 4 am to start hiking. I could hear nosies in the woods most of the way up, but never saw anything, and that's not really unusual. 
When I was hunting, I saw two guys coming up the trail I had hiked in. I was just sitting looking through binoculars, so when they got close I waved and started talking to them. They asked how long I had been up there, and I told them, it was about 10 am at this point. Then they asked if I saw all the wolf tracks on the path. No. There hadn't been any wolf tracks. So, on the way back down, I was watching the trail, and starting about 100 yards down from the peak, I started seeing wolf tracks and scat. Some of them even in my boot prints. There was about 7 or 8 individuals, and the tracks overlapped mine starting right after leaving my car. Turns out they were what I had been hearing all the way up the mountain. That still freaks me out. Now, my dad was in the army, he just retired last October, so we moved around a lot. Went from Washington, state, to Texas to Anchorage, Alaska, and it was there that my fear resurfaced and haunted me. We lived in a two-story house with a basement and an attic on Fort Richardson, just between Anchorage and a little town called Eagle River. The entrance to the attic was in the ceiling of the hallway right at the top of the stairs. I'd never been up there, and in the two years we lived in that house I never did, so it was a total mystery what was up there. I don't even think we stored anything up there, we put it all in the basement or the garage. Anyway, I always had this strange thought that, like the Goosebumps episode, there was a sarcophagus with a mummy up there just waiting to come out and attack us. This was always just a strange fantasy to me until one day, I was passing under the entrance to go to our computer room, back when those were a thing, when I looked up. The square door was completely sealed, but stuck in one side, poking out into the hall, was something brown, almost like a stained white something. It looked astonishingly like a bandage. Like a centuries-old, dirty, grimy, blood-stained bandage, exactly like a nightmarish mummy might be wrapped in. We moved out that Christmas, into a newer, bigger house across base, my dad was high rank and we'd originally just been eager to have a house. I'd tried not to think about the bandage or what it might actually be, and avoided looking up in the hallway. I never found out, and I never asked if anyone else had seen it. Of course, it certainly couldn't have been a bandage, especially not a mummy bandage. What would an ancient Egyptian mummy be doing stowed away in an attic in Alaska? But I was like 10 years old, and didn't know any better. Always scared the crap out of me staying up at night wondering if he was up there sleeping, waiting, biding his time. I live in the suburbs of Southern California, San Diego County area. On several occasions when letting my dog out I would see odd silent flying craft with spotlights shining scanning around. My dog would growl and rub back inside, he would not leave my side for the rest of the night. In other nights when my insomnia new kicks and I don't fall asleep till about 4 am during the summer nights I leave my window open to cool down since I don't have air conditioning. Around 2.33 o'clock in the morning I hear a screeching sound that sounds like no animal I know that lives around me. I heard a pack of coyotes make a kill, when the feast the whole pack yelp and howls. They killed around 3 and the screeching started. The sound traveled so fast to the coyotes and then suddenly the sounds turned extremely violent. 
heard at least four coyotes yelping in pain only to be silenced moments later. Seeing and hearing this shit makes me want to be home, or a place where I am sleeping at, by 2.30. If I am out later for any reason I start watching the skies and turn down my music so I can hear. If I hear or see anything that is out of the ordinary I pull over and lay as low and as quiet as I can. I get scared even more when my radio goes to random static in places that normally doesn't have any problems. I start moving again when the static clears or the screeching sounds far enough. I live in an area with one of the most haunted cemeteries known to America. Back in 8th grade, we had this state history project thing and I chose the cemetery. My dad had always told me about it and how his friends and him used to go there when they were in high school and how their teacher saw a ghost. One of the main stories is an orb of light that will chase you out of the woods, little backstory on the cemetery itself, it's pretty well secluded off a major street. You need to travel down a trail in the woods to reach it. Two major things about this though is one, they stopped burying people there a long time ago and two, the secluded nature and hauntings have become a popular site for people to perform satanic rituals. And not talking about painting upside down crosses everywhere I mean dead dogs and dug up graves. It is now illegal to go in there. Nevertheless my father took me to go one day to take a few pictures and whatnot. It was around noon when we went. We walked around and took some pictures, wrote some notes etc. Nothing out of the ordinary. I was really hoping to find a ghost though. One of the famous tales is a full body ghost appearing midday. So after about an hour or so my dad decides that was enough and takes us home. I was disappointed I didn't watch anything. When we got home, I was still stewing over this. I wanted to find something. So I decided it was a bright idea to go back. My dad was busy around the house and it wasn't odd for me to go out at that time saying I was hanging out with friends. So I rode my bike back there, camera in hand. I walked down the trail and got to the gate setting my bike down on a tree that had fallen on the fence. By this time it was about 6, sun starting to settle down. The trees around blocked all light though so the only illumination was a dim light from the surrounding sky. At this point I'm already thinking this is a bad idea. I still remember my knees beginning to physically shake if I stood still. Stupid me though still thought to go further in the cemetery though. I walked around a bit more until it became too much and I had to get out. I turned around and sped walked it back to the front gates where I left my bike. In the tree was a knife jammed into it right by my bike which I knew I would have seen. I don't think I've ridden a bike so fast in my life. The trail was so uneven and mangled I crashed and still have the scar on my leg. Never told my parents. Said I fell in the street or something. I only went back one other time with a group of my friends in high school and I made sure I was with a majority of the group the entire time. I house sat my brother's place one summer while he and his now wife took their camper cross country. They live deep in the hills of Western Mass, down two miles of dirt road, in a tiny cozy creepy hunting cabin built in the 1700s no neighbors for at least a mile in any direction. It was lovely, booming stereo system, outdoor hot hub, 
The kind of place a 20-year-old could host two weeks of weed and acid-fueled group sex. And then, after the first two weeks, I was burnt out. I needed a break. A couple buddies came up to BBQ and smoke, and then I was alone with my little family, two dogs, four cats, in the middle of nowhere, totally alone. I popped in a movie, cranked the stereo, and zoned out. All of a sudden all the pets got up in unison and rushed to one of the windows. No barking, no panic, just a creepy group trot to go. Stare. Out into the darkness. And then suddenly to another window. Ah. I flipped on the outdoor floodlights which just reinforced the darkness of the surrounding woods. I was on the second floor, but it was hardly reassuring. Putting on a thriller was an unwise choice. Just as my brain was processing the fact that there were no locks on the doors, something hit the house. Hard. Wump. The entire old structure shuddered, and my stomach churned. There were black bears out here, but it didn't sound like a black bear, it sounded like a 20-foot pillow had hit the house. I couldn't tell what side it came from. I hit the off button on the stereo and crept toward the window when suddenly, again. Wump. Pictures shook, something fell over in the little TV room. The pets were still nonchalantly all looking out at nothing, seemingly unfazed by the noise. I waited, now ready to piss myself. I didn't have a car up here, just a smallish motorcycle. And even then I didn't want to go outside. High as all get out, I decided to call the local cop. Who was unimpressed by being woken up to hear my shit. Well what do you want me to do? You don't see anything outside? I didn't. Just dark woods. Did I want him to come out? I had so much weed up there. He sounded relieved when I said I'd wait it out. If it gets dire, call the state barracks okay? Night he mumbled. It didn't happen again. I didn't sleep. Huddled in the TV room with a .22 pistol, paranoid, absolutely freaked out, I waited till dawn. When the sun came up, I ventured out. Nothing but a sparkling June morning. I made sure I had at least one friend up every night for the rest of my stay. I was coyote hunting in the dark, maybe 3 am. I am not one of weak stomach, I work with pigs. I smell this rotting, disgusting, horrible smell. I find a nearby small cave and look inside. There were maybe six dead coyotes and just gore. Bloody shit and body parts. Some of it was human. I then heard struggled breathing and hacking coughing. Armed with a semi-automatic shotgun, I was not afraid, until I saw this thing. Pasty white, hairless, ugly. It was similar to the made-up rake, but this was real. I aimed and fired twice, it was about 15 feet away. It recoiled and ran off screeching as it ran. I paged a local ranger office, they sent out a recovery team and police showed up later. I was questioned and the cave was discovered and the human parts recovered. The area was locked off from public access for a while. Years ago, when I was backpacking across Western Europe, I was just outside Barcelona, hiking in the foothills of Mount Tibidabo. I was at the end of this path, and I came to a clearing, and there was a lake, very secluded, 
and there were tall trees all around. It was dead silent. Gorgeous. And across the lake I saw, a beautiful woman, bathing herself. But she was crying. I hesitated, watching, struck by her beauty. And also by how her presence, the delicate curve of her back, the dark sweep of her hair, the graceful length of her limbs, even her tears, added to the majesty of my surroundings. I felt my own tears burning behind my eyes, not in sympathy, but in appreciation of such a perfect moment. She spied me before I could compose myself. But she didn't cry out. Instead our eyes held and she smiled, enigmatically, fresh tears still spilling down her cheeks. I was frozen. I knew nothing about this woman, and yet, as we stood on opposite sides of a pool of water, thousands of miles from my own home and everyone I had ever known, I felt the most intense connection. Not just to her, but to the earth, the sky, the water between us. And also to the entirety of mankind. As if she symbolized thousands of years of the human condition. I wanted to go to her, to comfort her, to probe this feeling of belonging I had never encountered before. But I couldn't. Because I knew that if I spoke, if she spoke, that moment would be ruined. And I knew I would need the memory of that moment to carry me through the inevitable dark patches throughout my life. And so I watched her lower her hand, turn, and slowly walk to the shore opposite me. The rest of her perfect form was gradually revealed to me, and I held my breath as I watched her disappear behind a copse of trees near the water. I didn't follow her, in fact I turned around. I knew there was nothing else we could experience together that would be more perfect than that moment. And it still remains the most profound experience of my life. I used to work at a movie theater downtown. I usually would get off around 1am when the buses would have already stopped running. And on one such night while I was crossing over one of the many bridges on foot I decided to take a shortcut. I miscalculated because I was fairly new to the area and ended up under the bridge where there was a large homeless camp. Anyways, I was trying to see if I could salvage the shortcut as opposed to backtracking when I noticed that I was being followed. I'm a pretty nervous person, the type who is always looking over my shoulder when out walking at night. When I did I saw someone less than 20 yards back under another small footbridge peering out behind a pile on. At first I just thought it was someone who didn't want to be seen or was paranoid but I noticed that as I walked I would see them making an effort to catch up to me. I immediately whipped out my cell phone to call my girlfriend just so that I could be on the phone with someone. No answer. As I was pretending that I was on the phone I noticed that they had kind of back off and were now keeping a longer distance maybe 30 yards or so. The shortcut came to a dead end with a highway on one side and the river on the other. I was going to have to backtrack and go right by the person. I turned around and then postured up as well as got really loud on my fake phone call. I saw them go back to, to their pillar and kind of hang out behind it. As I approached the footbridge I was staring right at the pillar and could see the guy in the shadow looking right back at me. At about 15 or so yards from the footbridge I dead sprinted past him without stopping to look back for about a full minute. After getting back on the right course I came across about 5 cop cars with police officers and K9 all looking around in the homeless camp. 
One officer stopped me because I was still kind of power walking looking disgruntled. He searched me and then said that there was someone with a knife that had just stabbed two people and was in the area. I told the officer what had just happened and then walked home and cracked a cold one. Last hunting season I was running solo in the backcountry. The area I was in had burned in the 90s so there were a lot of dead trees in the burn scar. The first night out there I was woken up to a very loud, but distant roaring sound around 2-3 am. Aside from the obvious reasons to be freaked out, there was a wildfire around 30 miles to the south of me burning its way north. At first, I thought the sound was one of the DC-10 fire tankers flying over as the sound was getting steadily louder. All of a sudden there were extremely loud booming noises that sounded like bombs going off echoing up the canyon and the roaring ramped up to almost deafening. It was a windstorm tearing through the canyon I was in. The explosion-like sounds were dead trees getting blown over. I heard a couple dozen trees crashing to the ground before the wind passed. I was sure the trees around me were going to be falling on top of me even though they weren't dead. Didn't sleep for the rest of the night. 